This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividends so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. How are you? Good, good, good. Excited to kick into our deep dive on listed investment companies, something that we've been wanting to do for a while. It's been a demand from our audience as well. You know, there's hundreds of listed investment companies out there and we're going to try and uh, sift through some of them. Speak to all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Speak to all of them. (laughs) To begin our journey, Ren, we're kicking off with Magellan. Yeah, one of the biggest names in the active space. Yes, yes. So we went straight to the the big dogs. Straight to the top and might leave it there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but to help us to get a bit of an understanding about what actually are listed investment companies, the differences between them and LITs, listed investment trusts, and perhaps active ETFs, we've got uh, Emma Kirk, who is a key account manager at Magellan, to join us to talk us through it. Thank you for joining us, Emma. Hi, thanks for having me. So a bit of a background, Emma joined Magellan in 2017 and prior to that worked in wealth management at ANZ, focusing on advice, remediation and governance programs. And before that, Emma was a member of the leadership team at Asgard Wealth Solutions and BT Financial Group, where she was responsible for licensee growth initiatives and diversifying revenue streams. So plenty of experience in in the finance industry and commenced her career in financial services in 1995. So that makes been around me old. for a while. <laughs> makes me really old. So again, Emma, thank you for joining us. Very much looking forward to getting an understanding of all things LICs. Great. I'm really keen to help you educate your investors about it. So Before we get into that, Emma, we always like to start with a game. So if you're up for it, the game is overrated, underrated, where we throw out an investing concept or theme or index and we ask for your thoughts on whether it's overrated or underrated. Okay, bring it on. You up for playing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah? Let's do it. So we'll start at home and the first one is the ASX 200, overrated or underrated? I think it's underrated. I think more people, well, and this probably juxtaposed out to the uh, the question you're going to ask at the end, which is about property. I actually think more people should be in shares and, you know, it should be 
ASX 200 or global. So, yeah, I think it's underrated. Preach. Yeah, that's very, that's very on brand for us. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. So then I guess the S&P 500? Yeah, S&P definitely underrated. I think that, you know, we now live in an age where we've got access to that market mm. and why wouldn't you want access to one of the largest markets in the world? So mm. definitely underrated. Next one, index funds, overrated or underrated? Underrated. Interesting coming from an active manager. Yeah. And I think once again, I mean, you have got the ability to invest in different markets, different sectors, different types of commodities, bonds, you name it. This is an age where you can get access to anything around the world. So why wouldn't you? And index funds are a great way to do that. How do you feel about Bitcoin? Overrated, <laughs> underrated? <laughs> I'd love to say that I know how Bitcoin works to give you a, an educated answer. So I'm actually going to say overrated only because I don't know enough about it. And there tends to be a bit of hype. I think digital currencies will be amazing, but I'm not sure Bitcoin's the one that I'd be I'd be in. So too much volatility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one, a very hot topic of conversation over the last few years across Australia, overrated or underrated Australian residential property? I think it's overrated. And I just, but it's tough though. I mean, you know, if you are trying to get into the property market, it's really difficult, particularly if you live in Sydney, but we all want to own a house. You know, I think the theory is invest in the share market, make a motto, and then buy a house later on. <laughs> I like it. That's a good plan. <laughs> okay, cool. Easy, str- easy three-point strategy. Yeah. <laughs> this is not advice. <laughs> so, Emma, before we crack into the fundamentals of LICs and LITs and, and whatnot, we always like to get a bit of an understanding on the background of, of who we're talking to, particularly when it comes to your first investment. Mm. Are you able to shed some light on your story about your first investment? Yes, I can. And it's super boring. So I inherited some money when I was younger. I had a, a, a great aunt who passed away. She left me $500. By the time I got to 18, it was worth $1,000. And I added to it with some work that I'd done. And I invested in the colonial, well, at the, at that stage, it was the first state imputation fund, which funnily enough, my current boss, Frank Casarotti, was the state manager at first state. And so I rocked up with my thousand dollar check, put it into the first state imputation fund. It was run by Chris Cuff at the time. And I then just did a regular savings plan because I very early on learned about the magic of compound interest. And if you do a regular savings plan, what you can do is you can actually put in a hundred bucks a month. And if the unit price goes down, you actually buy more. Mm. And I just put that in, put in a hundred bucks a month. And then as I earned more, we went up to, you know, $500 a month. And in a very boring way over a decade, it ended up being over six figures. Wow. Wow. So how did you learn? <laughs> how did you know that that was the right approach or a good approach? Because it's certainly something that we talk about a lot on yeah. the show. So I was very fortunate. My mother and my stepfather were financial planners. So I did grow up in a house where this was discussed a lot. And the one thing about getting rich, it's a slow game. And if you can understand the fundamentals of starting early and regular investing, you can get there. You just got to have a bit of patience. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's very boring. It's not that I picked a great stock and it went, you know, gangbusters. It was literally just basic fundamentals of just incremental investing. The result isn't boring though. No, no. <laughs> and that's what we do it for. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think you were the poster child of everything that we've spoken about on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, getting your saving right, uh, understanding <laughs> compounding, dollar cost averaging into the market. Mm. The textbook. We don't need to do textbook. this podcast anymore. <laughs> no, no. It's, and it's, and, but the funny thing is that the people want it to be really sexy. They want that hot tip. And then, and unfortunately, it is just the basic fundamentals of, of boring stuff. So yeah, I'd love to 
give you there was a secret sauce, but that was that was all it was. So it's a very not secret sauce, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> so Emma, the reason that we have got you here today is because active management and LICs, listed investment companies in particular, are a topic of conversation in the equity mates community. It's something that I personally want to understand a lot more of and have more exposure to. But to begin with, we want to start at the basics. And so I guess active management has sort of been less relevant for people getting into the market post-global financial crisis. Index investing and ETFs have really been where the focus is, where the money is going and where sort of millennials' attention has been you know, focused. If we can start very broadly, why do you think active management is important and how, how should we think about it as young investors? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, I think I'll start with the, with the first thing to say that I actually think that they're both very relevant. I think both index and active management is exceedingly important. And I'll, I'll talk you through why I think they both are. With index investing, you are getting access to, as I said at the start of the podcast, you're getting access to markets that you ordinarily wouldn't get access to as an individual investor. So if you were buying into the S&P 500, you are getting a fraction of every single stock that's sitting on the S&P 500 as opposed to having to come up with, you know, the hundreds of dollars per share price of individual shares. You can also gain access to different markets. So Europe, Asia, you can get an index over different commodities and get over gold and things like that. You can get physical ETFs or synthetic ETFs. So you've got a world of opportunity that opened up, opens up to you with index investing and, and it's cheap. You can get it at a, you know, the cost of a cup of coffee per annum. Like that's amazing. So index investing is phenomenal. And this is where I'm going to come back to. I think it's an and strategy, not an or strategy. So that gives you the access. You can get amazing returns through that. And the last 11, 12 years where we've had a bull run, absolutely amazing. Where I think active management comes into play is that active management gives you access to some of the world's best minds when it comes to understanding the fundamentals of the companies that you're investing in. And I don't think that that's something to be taken very lightly. I think that it's you're getting there somebody that's going to do a full analysis of a company, going to do a full analysis of, of the industry that that company is. Is they're going to understand the management, the competitors, the macroeconomic environment. If there's any geopolitical issues that are going to come into play and impact that particular company, they're going to know about it. And where that really comes into the fore is in down markets. So some of your listeners may not have ever seen a down market. The last biggest one was obviously 2008. Yeah, and that was before I was investing. So <laughs> maybe I'm a good luck charm, but I haven't seen a down market. Yeah. So, and that's the thing is that like, you know, I've been in this game since 1995 and when a down market hits, it's, it's hard. And so active management comes into play when, when you've got a, a, a down market. So the example I always like to use is let's say you've got a dollar. The market falls by 50%. So you're left with 50 cents in your hand. You have to earn 100% to get back to where you were before you started. And that's really difficult to do. Now, with an index manager, and I'm not definitely not bagging them, I think they're amazing. When the market goes down, they go down with it because they track an index. With an active manager, we've got the ability to go to cash or we've got the ability to put more defensive stocks in our portfolio. And, you know, lowering downside market risk is part of what an active good active managers should be doing. And so when the market goes down, if we can go down less than the market, it means that when the market recovers, we can slingshot past it. And that's what you want to be looking for. So in all of your listeners, if they're looking at active managers, look for the downside market capture. Have a look at or a good active manager will publish that information to tell you 
what you're getting there. And that's where an active manager can can really come into play and why they should be part of a diversified portfolio. And that's one of the reasons you were, I guess, contemplating LICs at the start of this year, and is because of, you know, the sentiment that is out there at the moment in the markets and perhaps they're looking at some track records of LICs that have performed well. And speaking of brilliant minds, uh, the second part of this dive into Magellan is with Chris, who we have also interviewed, and that is an unbelievable episode when it comes to understanding the market. So um, stay tuned for that one after this. Yeah, definitely. So I guess that's uh, a good understanding of where active management plays a role in our portfolios, but there's there's a lot of different ways in which we can access active management. I guess more commonly, there's the LICs or listed investment companies. There's LITs, listed investment trusts, and then there's the active ETFs as well. And there's just private funds as well. Of course, yeah. yeah. Can you just give us an example, I guess, or run us through firstly, what are the differences, major differences between those three and perhaps the benefits versus cost of them as well? Yeah. So I'm sorry, I'm going to go into a long monologue here. That's fine. (laughs) If there was just one that you were going to say, this is the one to do, ignore all the others, we would have been surprised. (laughs) This is the monologue. So get ready. Okay. So the biggest thing that I want you to understand, so you talked about four, you talked about listed investment companies, listed investment trusts, active ETFs and passive ETFs. So we've got four structures that are available on the stock exchange. So you can buy them either through a stockbroker or by your online trading account. The biggest thing that I want your listeners to walk away with is the the difference between a closed-ended fund and an open-ended fund. So listed investment companies and listed investment trusts are closed-ended funds. Active ETFs and passive ETFs are open-ended funds. So I'm going to use a food analogy here to explain the difference. (laughs) Love an analogy. We've already spoken about secret sauce and now (laughs) we're getting into food. (laughs) So I apologise. So the first thing I want you to – I'm going to talk about closed-ended funds first. So I want you to think about a, a pizza. And I want you to think about a closed-ended fund being like a pizza. So a pizza has got a fixed number of slices. So when you cut it up, it's finite and we have to share the pizza around. And let's say that you've put some amazing ingredients on that pizza and that pizza, the value of those ingredients comes up to a dollar. Let's call it the net pizza value. (laughs) That's nice. Let's go with that. (laughs) That's good. You're great. So let's say we've got this pizza. Each slice is worth a dollar. And let's say, Bryce, you want to buy a slice of – I've got a slice of pizza and you want to buy a slice off of me and I'm really attached to my piece of pizza and I I don't want to give it up. And you're like, I'll give you a dollar ten for it. I'm like, okay, fair enough. That's enough of a premium. I'm going to hand it over to you. Let's say it's not that great a ingredient. Let's say it's ham and pineapple and I'm not really that in love with it. And you're like, I'll give you 90 cents for it. And I'm like, okay, still worth a dollar. So the actual pizza slice itself is worth a dollar. And so what – you tend to find is that a closed-end fund operates the same way. It's got a fixed number of shares or units on issue. Mm. The net pizza value is actually the net asset value. That's what (laughs) one unit or share is worth. And sometimes it's called the net tangible asset, Mm -hmm. so NTA or net asset value, which is otherwise known as the NAV. So that's actually what one unit is worth. And what happens with a closed-end fund, because there's a fixed number on issue, if somebody else wants to buy that particular share or unit off of me, they've got to offer a price for it. So you've got the share market alive and well. So it's the share market or the people trading in the share market that actually sets the share price. Mm. If more people want to buy it, the share price will be above the net asset value or NTA, which means it's trading at a premium. If not as many people want it, it will be trading below the NTA or net asset value and be trading at a discount. And so what happens is you've got those two markers that you need to be fully aware of. And it's purely based on the fact that there's a fixed number on issue 
and that's it. You've got, we've got to bargain over it in the marketplace. So that's a closed-ended fund. The only way that they can increase their size is through rights offers, unit purchase plans, share purchase plans, dividend reinvestment plans. That's the only way that they can increase. They can shrink via buyback. So they can do a company share buyback or a unit buyback and shrink that way. But other than that, it's literally just people trading in the market. Mm. So that's closed-ended fund, like any other listed security on the stock market. Now, where open-ended funds differ, so these are active ETFs and passive ETFs, I want you to think about the magic pudding. Nice. So <laughs> I was wondering what um, food you were going to yeah, use for yeah. that. Well, it's actually based on the Norman Lindsay book, The Magic Pudding, once again, showing my age, because <laughs> it was a book that I read when I was little, but also for your younger audience, let's think about the never-ending packet of Tim Tams. Okay, so open-ended funds are like the never-ending packet of Tim Tams. And what I mean by that is that every day as new investors join, the fund gets bigger. So if you decide to join, Bryce, I'm going to increase the size of the fund. If you decide to leave, the fund shrinks. So it grows and contracts by investors joining and leaving the fund. Guess what happens when you've got unlimited supply? You don't have any supply-demand tension. Mm. So what happens is the share price for an active ETF or a passive ETF will actually sit very, very close to the net asset value or NTA. It's generally within one to two cents. And so that's the biggest thing. If people can comprehend closed-ended funds are fixed, therefore there's a limited supply. So, you know, supply-demand is going to be different. Open-ended, you've got unlimited supply. Mm. So Mm. you won't get that variance. And so I guess the reason that there would be a a play of supply and demand for a closed-end fund such as Magellan is because people are wanting to get access to the best and brightest minds who are actually managing that fund a.k.a. Hamish Douglas or or the likes. Yeah, they are. But there's a trick. There's one thing that you need to know with closed-ended funds that's really important is that price disclosure is a really big factor here. So traditionally, your your older-style listed investment companies disclose their NTA or the net asset value um, once a month with a 10-business-day lag. So there can be like a six-week variance between the day you buy in and when you know what it's actually worth. At Magellan, we update the net asset value every one second on our website. Wow. So you know, like, why would you buy it at a premium Mm. if it's at a premium? Um, If it's at a discount, we've got a standing on market buyback, which means if it trades at a meaningful discount, well, actually the trust itself steps into the market, buys back the unit. So hence shrinking our funds under management. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not in our interests, but it's in the interest of investors because what it means is the the share price should Mm. gravitate back to the net asset value, giving investors a much better investor experience. Mm. So that's the first difference. So you kind of got the closed and open-ended. The next thing that differs between them is actually their structure. So listed investment trusts, active ETFs and passive ETFs are trusts. So they're governed by trust law in Australia. Listed investment companies are companies, and so they're governed by corporations law. The biggest difference comes into the taxation side of things. So all trusts, whatever trust it is, whether it's a family trust that you've got or a discretionary trust, unit trust, Every 30 June, a trust has to pay out all of its distribution. So any income it's received from dividends, any realised capital gains have to be passed through to the underlying unit holders because they're the true beneficiaries of that trust. So full payment, if a trust retains any of its earnings, they get taxed at the highest marginal tax rate. So it's a full pass through. A company, on the other hand, very different. They have to do their company tax returns. So what happens is end of financial year happens, company does its tax return, lodges it. It can then make a decision about whether it pays out a distribution or not. It can actually retain funds in it. And so what where you've got the advantages and disadvantages, so a trust will pay out everything 
and has to pay it out every year. It does get access to the 50% capital gains tax discount, so it can pass it on immediately, and you get your distribution on about the 15th of July. So amazing. Mm. Uh, with a company, they do get to retain profits, which is great, but you've got to wait for them to do their tax return and then pay you. So there can be a delay, but you get a franking credit with it that comes from the company tax that's been paid. So that's the differences between companies and trusts. And then the last one, ending the monologue, is <laughs> <laughs> the last differences between the management styles. So obviously, listed investment companies, listed investment trusts and active ETFs, you've got a portfolio manager there actively selecting the stocks. With a passive ETF, they're replicating an index. The other minor difference is that all of the active managers can hold cash. So once again, if anything happens in the market and they wish to go to cash, they can do. Some mm. of them have got limits on the amount of cash they can go to. But an index ETF has to hold, has to replicate that index mm. um, in its entirety and therefore can't go to cash. Mm. So they will have cash there for the distributions, that the dividend income that they've received, but they can't use that from a portfolio management point of view. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. That's interesting. So which should we invest in? <laughs> All of them. Look, I think you've we've we're so blessed in Australia. We've got so many different structures that you can go into. If you can understand the differences in the structure, some have got advantages and disadvantages. There's no one one that's better than the others. They all bring something different to the table. I think it's more important to understand the underlying manager and what they're trying to achieve as part of your entire portfolio. But you, we're, we're spoiled for choice. The one thing I'd be mindful of is discounts. You know, it's it's in the papers a lot at the moment with a lot of LICs trading at discounts. If they've got a buyback strategy in place, it might be a great opportunity to get something at a discount, but you've got to be mindful that at a later date, you may wish to sell it and you may be selling it at a discount. I was just going to say, sometimes it can be confusing or misleading if you don't understand the relationship between the stock price and the underlying asset value. You know, the terminology discount, people think that, oh, I can buy this now and and if it's at a discount, I'll be able to sell it later at a, at a higher price. It doesn't necessarily mean that it is going to ever reach Correct. And you're, you're at the mercy of the other investors in that particular fund. So if they don't want to sell it or if they do want to sell it, that can really, that impacts your premiums and your discounts. Mm. And you may have some holders that have been in there for a really long time mm. and they don't want to sell because they might be, have to realize capital gains tax as a result of selling it. So you, you never know the underlying motives of the other investors in that fund. And mm. that's why price transparency is really important, understanding if there's a buyback there and making sure that you do understand that difference between closed and open-ended. Some people will go, 
give me an active or a passive ETF every day of the week because I don't have to think about premiums or discounts. But at the same time, if you can get an LIT or an LIC at a discount, then it's, you know, could be a good investment. Yeah. Now, we just explained some of the differences between those four wrappers for uh, management, but there's one similarity between them all, which is that they can all be bought and sold on the share market. Yes, they can. Now, there's one other type of active management, which is unlisted funds or funds that can't be bought on the share market. In that structure of all the differences between them, where do the unlisted funds sit. The one thing I love about our industry is we love coming up with new words just to confuse people. At the start, a bit more jargon. Um, the one thing I'd like to say is an active ETF is essentially a managed fund that trades on the stock exchange. So when you hear the word active ETF, and same with a passive ETF, it's a managed fund. It just happens to track an index. It just trades on the ASX. So they're all unit trusts. They're all managed investment schemes. The only difference is how you access them. So with an unlisted fund, whether that be an active manager or a passive manager, an unlisted fund, you've got to fill in an application form, hand over your firstborn child, and <laughs> <laughs> and then you know do an EFT or a send over check. Still completely okay. It's just half an hour of your time mm. to do that. Whereas if you go into one of the funds that are listed on the stock exchange, you, all you need is an account with a stockbroker or an online share trading account. And I know that you guys do some work with CMC Markets, but you can do CMC Markets, Comsec, NAB Trade, ANZ Share Invest, does open markets, like completely agnostic as to how you do it. We're completely agnostic cool. as well. We'll Great. speak anyone. <laughs> They're looking for sponsors. Um, so you can you can trade it, but you just go on and you trade it. Like As long as you've got the ticker code, you just put in the ticker code, you buy and sell it like any other share. Amazing. Yeah, and I think the biggest difference I've recognized as well between listed and unlisted is the capital that you need to start off. Yeah. Particularly with unlisted, you're looking some, you know, sometimes upwards of $250,000 for the big, you know, yeah. sort of premium funds. And, you know, that's a bit out of reach at the moment for a lot of beginner investors. Yeah. So. The, the only thing I'll say, so for the unlisted, normally for a retail investor, normally the minimum is about $10,000. And if you're going into the ones on the ASX, normal trades about $500. The only thing I would say where unlisted does have an advantage over listed is going back to my principles of regular investing. If you were to do, set up a regular investment plan, the unlisted is going to be a lot better for you because you're not going to pay brokerage every single time. Mm. So that's one thing to be mindful of is that you might have half an hour of work up front for the unlisted, but you're not going to pay brokerage every single time you go and transact. Mm. Mm. And and a lot of the unlisted funds let you transfer or be pay smaller amounts after the initial investment. Correct. Mm. So it's yeah. not like you have to put 10 grand in every time. Mm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And so once again, no right or wrong. Magellan, we're very privileged. We were the first a manager in Australia to bring an active ETF to the market in 2015 with the Magellan Global Equities Fund. And we worked with the ASX, we worked with ASIC, and, you know, it's quite amazing that it's only it's coming up to five-year anniversary and we've now got other managers following. We're happy to share information with other managers on how to do it so that investors get access to their expertise in a real easy way, which is on the ASX. So I think a question that is common and a question that I had when I started is, so Magellan has a bunch of funds. Uh, some of them are listed, some of them are unlisted. 
some of them share the same name. So there's a Magellan Global Fund that is unlisted and a Magellan Global Fund that is listed. Are they the same fund? They are. So what it is, so they're they're different underlying trusts. So they're actually separate funds. But so the Magellan Global Fund, its replica on their ASX is the Magellan Global Equities Fund with the ticker code MGE. And they are identical. So when we launched MGE on the 5th of March 2015, it bought exactly the same stocks that the Global Fund had on that day. So the investment strategy is the same. The underlying stocks are the same. The fees are the same. If you look at the performance in the funds, you'll actually see a marginal difference and that's just due to spreads in the market but you can compare and go actually they're they're within a couple of basis points of each other in terms of performance so exactly the same and that's the same for our hedged version of the fund and also our infrastructure fund is available on there chris weldon's fund the magellan high conviction fund and trust they replicate each other as well so the high conviction funds unlisted we chose to do the trust as a listed investment trust, not an active ETF. The reason why we did that is that the high conviction fund is eight to 12 stocks, highly concentrated, and we disclose the portfolio on our listed investment trust once a year. So from an intellectual property point of view, that's we want to keep that secret source a bit secret. Mm. With our active ETFs, we disclose the full portfolio down to the percentage every quarter with a 60-day lag. So you know exactly where your money is. Mm. Like, amazing. <laughs> so you have to have high conviction in Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Got to back him in. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Which- but- Oh, sorry, but you can have you can you can choose whichever you'd like, listed or unlisted. I think after people listen to our interview with Chris, there might be a high level of conviction for him. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. So I want to add one more wrinkle, one more layer of complexity to this, which is that Magellan itself is then listed. Yeah, is that one of these things that we're talking about, or is that something? No, else? and so we get there is a little bit of confusion because some people go, oh, "I want to invest in Magellan," and and sometimes people are talking about Magellan Financial Group, which is completely different to our funds. Mm. Magellan Financial Group is an Australian-based funds management business that is listed on ASX, but it is in the business of managing funds. And so it would be classified as an Australian financial sector stock, whereas our funds themselves are investing in the world's best companies that are on the global stage. And these are generally multinational companies that derive their revenue from around the world from multiple sources. So completely different. Hmm. Interesting. Before we get to our final three, Emma, we noticed that uh, Magellan's investment team conduct research that is an inch wide and a mile deep. Can you explain what that means? Yeah. So it's an interesting term. And what it means is that we're very privileged at Magellan. We don't cover thousands of stocks around the world. Um, we're privileged to cover a few hundred stocks. And what has to happen is that for the, in order the, for those couple hundred stocks to enter our universe, they actually have to go through a process. And Chris Weldon's podcast will run investors through in detail the process that we go through in order for that to happen. But at a very high level, what happens is we're looking for those companies that have got a sustainable competitive advantage or what Warren Buffett coined as an economic moat. And if we were to look at what a, a high-quality companies, we had to kind of look at four attributes of what they were. We're looking at things such as high switching costs. So Apple's a great example of that. So once you're in the Apple ecosystem and you've got an Apple Watch, an Apple phone, an iPad, and a Mac, <laughs> it's really hard to leave. Mm. The cost might not be a monetary cost, but it might be an opportunity cost to get out of that ecosystem. So we're looking for those companies that have got that high switching cost. The next thing we're looking for are those companies with economies of scale. So a really good example of that is Google or Costco. These are companies that kind of it doesn't take much. There's no incremental cost to bring on another user. So once you've got that scale, 
it doesn't matter how many people join, it's not going to impact your operating costs that much. Strong brands, things like Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy, you know, this is a brand, luxury French brand that makes amazing um, goods and they can charge an absolute premium for that and people will pay it. So that's an amazing brand in that space. And then things like network effects, so stocks such as like Visa and Facebook, these are, you know, companies that have got, you know, Visa is a good example of they've got their merchants on one side and their users on the other. If I turned up and said, oh, I'm going to bring out the Emma credit card, uh, merchants aren't going to accept it and consumers aren't going to take it up. So that network effect is really important there. And so once we uh, once we identify those companies, we then get really intimate with them. So we spend a lot of time understanding those companies. We'll visit them. We'll visit their management. We'll also visit their competitors. We want to find out who they're up against. So we'll actually go and do ground visits to them. We'll then do our fundamental research on their financials, then understand their consumers, what are the threats and opportunities to their industry, and then we overlay macroeconomic and geopolitical issues over the top of that. And mm. so that then runs through our investment committee. And then once it gets the stamp of approval, the portfolio manager can then decide whether to put it into the portfolio or not. And the, we're, this is one thing that, you know, we've got time on our hands. We're very patient investors. So we will comfortably sit on a particular stock for years, if need be, before it will make it into the universe and then into the portfolio. So that's the one thing I've learned about being at Magellan is that there's there's no rush. It's very methodical and we take our time to really understand these companies mm. and that's what we mean by um, inch wide, mile deep. Yeah, fascinating. I like it. So if people like that concept, like that idea of a patient search for good quality businesses – uh, what's the takeaway in terms of how they access it? Are we saying that it doesn't matter if you do listed trust, listed company, doesn't matter? It's just about what the underlying management is or are we saying there's a particular way they should be thinking about accessing it? I, I, don't, think, I don't think there is. I think that the, you've got enough choice nowadays out there. I think, you know, if you can have a look at what we talked about earlier, downside capture, I think it's not only important to look at the the returns of a particular manager. That's definitely important. You want someone that's going to be growing your money over time in line with your risk profile, so what you're comfortable with, because that's also really important. You don't want to be in something that you are completely uncomfortable in because those you know, funds that are aiming for high growth are going to have high volatility. So they're going to have times where they're up and down, which serves well if you are putting regular investments in, not so well if you're in retirement and, you know, this is all your money. You don't want that volatility there. But also look at the downside capture. Look at what happens in a down market. That is so important to understand that. But time is your friend. It really comes back to those boring basics we said at the start. The more time you've got, the ability to dollar cost average in, don't panic when things go pear-shaped you know th those things really come to the fore yeah they're not boring we're not we're not saying boring basics <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> we're, we're making them sexy. yeah exactly we need emma yeah. in on the occasional podcast just to be the voice of reason and remind everyone of the, yeah. the core fundamentals of investing yes and, and, and everyone should budget i think everyone should you know budget 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 you should see bryce's spreadsheets he budgets oh, oh yeah I, seriously i i want to see your spreadsheet and you should see mine it's bryce amazing. does it dc on his own <gasps> personal income. Stop it. I love it. I love it. I'd love to see it. <laughs> well, Emma, we always like to close with uh, the three same questions that we ask all of our experts on the show, and I'll, I'll let Ren do that, but just wanted to say uh, thank you for coming on. 
If anyone wanted more information about Magellan and particularly, you know, the differences between LIC, LIT, where could they do that? So there's some amazing resources that are available to you. Obviously, our website, which is magellangroup.com.au. We've got an insight section in there. So there's videos on there. We've also got an investor education section, which is some of the terminology that I've used today. So net asset value listed investment trust, open fund open-ended fund, closed-ended fund. There's all little videos on there with infographics about what they are. Do they have food analogies as well? <laughs> no, I wasn't, I wasn't Definitely allowed. introduced. Yeah, I wasn't 20, allowed to do the 20, food 20 analogies. Goal, yeah. <laughs> do you like a pizza? Um, <laughs> so I would definitely go there. There's some other great resources. I mean, Bell Potter put out some great research on LICs and active ETFs. The ASX website on their investment products is good. Um, you know, you've got independent investment research. You've got Morningstar. You've got a range of um, groups out there that have got a lot of research. Um, if you can get through, and the other thing, Investopedia is your friend. <laughs> just If there's a word, just go to Investopedia, have a look. Their little videos are great mm, as well. Mm. So go and do that. But first off, go to the Magellan website. The other thing that we've got coming up, um, if I can do a little bit of a spruce. Go for it. Um, we've got the Magellan Investor Evenings coming up in um, end of February and early March. And this is a great opportunity. If you want to hear Hamish Douglas speak, um, Come along. We've got them in every capital city and also in Auckland for your listeners in New Zealand. They will be running at the convention centre. Go to our website. So go to magellangroup.com.au. There's a link through to the events. So the full website's magellangroup.com.au forward slash 2020 events. Uh, buy a ticket that you do have to purchase a ticket. So it's $25 for a general admission, $75 for reserved. All the money goes to charity. It will be a great evening. Get to hear from Hamish what's happening in the world drinks, canapes is food. So food nice. analogies can come back. Well, Ren and I are going, so uh, come and join us, I guess. Yeah, we'll have an equity mates contingent there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, brilliant. I get you a little section. Yeah. Nice. nice. <laughs> Emma, as Bryce touched on, we like to finish with the same three questions every interview. The first one, to kick it off, do you have any must-read books? I've got too many books. I'm the curator of the Magellan Library. <laughs> so uh, everybody in our business are very well read and we even have a spreadsheet with everyone's list of top books and who's read them and how they're rated in our business. Wow. I, we um, need access to that spreadsheet. <laughs> I will happily send you the spreadsheet. Oh. It is an excellent list. One thing I will say, for people who are starting out, uh, and I'm on a I would like to say read some of Peter Lynch's work. So Peter Lynch, he's got a couple of books. One of them is called One Up on Wall Street. A little bit of a fun fact for viewers. Our business is called Magellan. Uh, some people think it is after Ferdinand Magellan. It's actually named after Peter Lynch's Magellan Fund over in the US. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, And Peter Lynch has got a great style of getting you to understand if you're going to invest in stuff, why shouldn't you be investing in the brands that you're buying? So if you're, you know, buying Nike or Adidas or you're using, you know, Amazon or Alibaba, you know, or Apple, why wouldn't you own it? Mm, that's why Bryce invests in Marlboro. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> so it's kind of put your money where your mouth is. If you buy a product, why wouldn't you own it? And so Peter Lynch is great at, at you know, breaking that down. So that's that's one book I think investors should read, but I, I will send you the list of books. That'd be awesome. Great, so, yeah. great. <laughs> Second question, aside from this spreadsheet, what's your go-to source for investing information? I'm very lucky to work at Magellan. My go-to source is always Hamish. It is also Chris Weldon and it's Stefan. That's a pretty good source. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and Stefan Marchinetti. Stefan runs uh, the Magellan Global Trust uh, alongside Hamish. Also Chris Mackay, uh, who's one of our co-founders of Magellan. I'm very privileged to work with some 
amazingly intellectual individuals who are caring and humble and give a lot of their time to people such as me So and also to investors. So, so get four world-class investing experts, surround yourself with them. <laughs> you you go. <laughs> Definitely. Nice. All right, that's on the 2020 bucket list. Last question, uh, the question we always like to finish an interview with, if you think back to your younger self, so, you know, when you're regularly saving and investing and uh, putting $100 in a, uh, a time into a, this investment fund, what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, it's a really interesting question. I think, uh, like, it comes back to, and I'm, I, when you listen to Chris Weldon's podcast, it's a similar thing. I think you don't know what you don't know when you're young, but my advice would be always be learning. So ABL, always be learning, learn something new every day and gather it up as you go along. And don't be afraid to ask questions. I think the thing is we think, particularly when we're young, we kind of think we should know it all and we we should be across certain information. And it's actually really okay not to know and it's really okay to ask a question. And if you can find lovely people where I'm very lucky at Magellan, I ask really silly questions sometimes and they they don't bat an eyelid. They're like, great, Emma, we'll help you answer that and they'll talk me through it. And I've learned over time that it's actually okay to not know stuff and that you should learn as much as you can and, and be broad. Like sometimes the, you know, you might be quite specific in what you want to learn, but, you know, some of the recent things I've read over summer are about genetics and, um, you know, how we're changing in that. And that, that does relate to investing, but that's more interesting to, just to understand how human beings work. So my thing, my advice to my younger self would always be learning and, and be patient. Mm. More words of wisdom. Yes, yes. <laughs> Our whole show is about uh, the journey of investing and the fact that it's an absolute lifelong learning journey. So very pleased that you finished with that one, Emma. Thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Very much looking forward to these events. If you are around, definitely check them out. And as we've made reference to throughout this podcast, in a few days' time or perhaps a couple of podcasts' time, we'll be releasing our one with Chris Weldon, who is a portfolio manager of the High Conviction Fund at Magellan. And it goes into a bit more detail as to, I guess, how Magellan go through their process of stock picking and, and a number of other things, which is fantastic. So keep an eye out for that as we continue our exploration of LICs across Australia. So Emma, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.